I guess the biggest learning is that, and this applies to everything new, is that uh, we didn't have a clue what we were doing at the time, as is the case many times when you start doing something, building something new. But you take a step at a time and you don't worry about whether it's perfect or not. And if you find a group of people that is, is excited about the thing, you just go for it. Because in the early days, there's a whole lot of people who try to kind of talk you out of it. Hello, everyone. I'm happy to bring you a new episode today of the Leap Takers podcast, where I am interviewing daring European entrepreneurs, investors, and shapers from various fields to retrace their journey and to discover the insights, tips, tricks, and advice they gathered so that you too can take the leap. My guest today is Wille Westerinnen. He's a serial entrepreneur and probably most known for being one of the founders of Slush which is one of the world's leading startup and tech conferences. Slush attracts around 25,000 attendees every year to Helsinki, where the conference takes place. He is also the founder of Gray Area, a gaming company that was backed by Index Ventures, LVP and Lifeline Ventures. Wille also is involved in a whole lot of other projects and companies. He recently started his own podcast. So we will talk about all of that, the origin story of Slush, his learnings from being a founder and investor, as well as his tips for other aspiring entrepreneurs in Europe, like you potentially. So I think there's a whole lot in this episode and I'm looking forward to it. Please enjoy. Hi, Wille. Welcome to the Leap Techers podcast. And thank you so much for joining me today on the show. Um, thank you. Thanks, thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm very happy you could join, especially in these busy times. And I thought a great place to start would be if you could briefly introduce yourself to the audience. So who are you and what are you currently working on? My name is Ville Westerinen. I'm a Finn, born and raised, currently based in, based in Helsinki. I'm an entrepreneur and um, uh, aspiring angel investor. I have built companies and, and invested in some for the past 10, 15 years in uh, a number of different uh, industries what i'm what i'm currently doing is in investing in supporting starting entrepreneurs sitting on a few different boards and uh, also just very recently released a new you know incidentally also a podcast out called the long map how to live an interesting life so that's that's what i'm currently working on cool i i was also really curious to learn how you got started and how you got interested in in startups and the tech industry was there any specific moment or experience that you had earlier in your life that that made you want to go into that field right so i i don't i don't have a technical background per se i, I studied business and political science political economy but what kind of pulled me in i i've always ever since after high school i i started my first company that didn't go so well but uh, but a lot of a lot of learnings but but you kind of i i you know kept that up and after i graduated that was 2006 2007 and that was kind of the <clears throat> what was called at the time web 2.0 there was a lot of uh, excitement around weblogs and, and people um, getting excited about the internet again after the first crash. 
and uh, and that kind of got me excited and there's a lot of interesting people writing uh, on the web and i guess it was the the potential for positive chains and the progress that technology has technology can at its best kind of bring with it so so that was that was really what pulled me in so kind of the the big visions and the big dreams versus the stagnant and 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 really really the really the upside and the the unlimited potential and creating new and building new that's that's what what technology is for me mm-hmm. and at the time was this an unusual path um to take let's say in finland even compared to today or how was your experience at this time to start a company was it an easy thing to do or how did your like uh, friends or uh, family react to that it probably not it was it was not a popular thing to do back in early 2000s here in here in finland so i remember when i came back uh, maybe 2007 back to finland after studying and working a bit abroad if you if you told people you're working on a startup then right after you had to explain what is a startup so it was it was not uh, kind of a known entity and it was the Nokia heydays so so not a lot of people wanted to go into entrepreneurship and starting new companies so but that was that was kind of the challenge and, and we wanted to catalyze and, and uh, inspire people to do that which was part of starting slush uh, conference at the time but but also also starting a company so you had to kind of how would i say there was there was not a whole lot to build on top of so compared to now you know you just do a google search there's a million blogs and podcasts and whatnot a lot of resources which is great so you didn't have that much at the time but the kind of the small community that we had was very supportive so it it was definitely not the usual thing to do or not the popular thing to do at the time but gladly there was still you know a group of people who both believed in it and was very supportive so I, i i guess that that was what you could lean on at the time you know when it when it comes to explaining to parents or whatnot i i think you know that uh that didn't it didn't even cross my mind so you know kind of mm-hmm. be, better not right so <laughs> all right and you already mentioned slush this is where i was also going uh, with this question so uh, i was really curious to learn more about the uh, origin story of slush how this group of people who founded uh, came together i know you were involved uh, right in the beginning of it so uh, could you tell the audience a little bit about how you got together with your co-founders and how you got slush off the ground right yeah so good question I came back to Finland 2007, and I, I've been in Amsterdam, and was before that studying in in London. And at the time, I got really interested in the emerging web, kind of the social web, uh, as it was called, and, and web blogs, and you know everything that came with it. And uh, so, th- so there was this kind of big undercurrent at the time. So I think the the tech startups and and you know startups building on the internet were emerging globally so it was a bigger wave that we were riding at the time but i when i landed in finland i i had not worked here so i didn't know a whole lot of people 
And I, you know, figured that interesting, exciting people must be somewhere. So we started to organize small events, this kind of get togethers for aspiring entrepreneurs, especially tech entrepreneurs here in Helsinki. And at the same time, we started to write a small publication about Nordic startups and and kind of trying to highlight and build a window into what was happening at the Nordics at the time and, and inspire and get more people to start startups and companies and building the future and, and new products. So that was kind of how it all started. And I, I guess there was, you know, there was a group of people who had the same mindset. Some of them were already in startups, kind of working on their own. And, and um, you know, everybody was part of the scene. So that kind of cross-pollination or, you know, everybody had similar ideas and, and then, First of all, we wanted more visibility and at the time also funding uh, for Finnish companies and, and perhaps, you know, talent and open up, build bridges to new markets. We were looking at what was happening in Paris with Leveb, and that was kind of the main, the only show in Europe, especially if you were looking, you know, from state side. So all the, all the US people, that's the only thing they knew about Europe or they, they always went to Paris and La Web, and we thought that we could do better than that. And that's, that's how it started. And, and, you know, from the humble beginnings, it was three, 400 people, and now, you know, grew from there. But that was the impetus and what got us working on building a startup conference. And, and I think, you know, a lot of those things where there was a lot happening all over the world in different countries at the same time. So kind of like a bigger boom of, you know, tech startups becoming more popular. Mm -hmm. I think tech conferences are also evolving, especially, I guess, nowadays with the whole COVID situation that you have to go fully uh, online, etc. So what were your learnings from starting Slush, if, if there were any uh, that you can share or any takeaways that you took from this time? Right. So when it comes to conferences, I mean, it's, uh, you know, what you need is, uh, is a lot of, a lot of energy and a lot of time. So there's a, there's about a million details. So it's tedious, but it, it can be done. And I, I guess the biggest learning is that, and this applies to everything new is that, uh, <clears throat> we didn't have a clue what we were doing at the time, as is the case many times when you start doing something, building something new, but you take a step at a time and you don't worry about whether it's perfect or not. And if you find a group of people that is, is excited about the thing, you just go for it because in the early days, there's a whole lot of people who try to kind of talk you out of it. Maybe they think of your, you know, your best interest. You know, people told me that, hey, maybe it's, you know, maybe you should get a job or something like that instead. Or is this the, you know, best use of your time? So before it's popular. But this happens, this happens a lot. And this, you know, especially if your, say, idea, whatever you do is, if there's not a successful example of that, or if it's unique, if it's different, then even much more so. So, so I think sticking with it, especially nowadays when you have, have the internet is, is, I think, you know, 
you could almost uh, argue that being weird is a benefit. So whatever you do, you'll find your audience given it's permissionless and global. So even if you're painting golf balls, I'm sure there's a community for you and you can kind of build your life and quote unquote career around that, if you will. So that was also the case with Slush, that we didn't know any better. And in that case, that was a good thing. We just, we, we wanted to make that happen. And we, you know, we were kind of idealistic and strongly believed in our cause. And that's how, how things started, as, as they many times do. So, so I think that applies to everything new. I think that would be the main lesson mm-hmm. from Slush. Amazing. And I think yeah, that's really true that you need to probably block out a lot of the other noises and uh, focus on, on your mission. And it helps then to be uh, a bit naive maybe at, at, at these early stages or not to know too much about some of the downsides as well. Yeah, I think um, it is a benefit. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So I, I think you put it well. So, you know, being a little naive and, you know, if, if, if you're naive, people get a lot of done many times so i think that's something maybe a learning there as well mm-hmm. i'm really interested now to go through your let's say career and where you're at today so uh, after slush uh, could you walk me through a bit your main milestones and projects uh, that you were involved since that you consider like that had the most impact on you or where that you found the most interesting yeah, I'm happy to. So after Slash, there was, again, like organizing conferences, working on the web publication, we traveled the Nordics, writing about startups and trying to encourage that culture and bring visibility to it. And then, you know, as many times happens, you kind of get hungrier and you saw some of the startups get born and 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 get built in the Nordics. So I, of course, I wanted to do, do the same thing and start building, building products. And at the time, 2000, maybe eight, it was a group of, group of friends who were kind of hardcore gamers and played games like World of Warcraft a lot. And, and 2009, iPhone came out and uh, we started to look at whether, you know, there was for the first time an opportunity to build some of those experiences on mobile. And nobody knew kind of what mobile was not obvious. It was it was not obvious that it is the platform or it will become the platform that it is today. So and same with games. You know, nobody knew whether there, you know, will be such thing as mobile games. And what ended to be one of my co-founders had had this idea that we, Foursquare, this like location-based service, was quite popular, and we started to think about whether it would be possible to build location-based games. And uh, turns out it is, and uh, that was kind of our big bet. And we built a company around that called Gray Area, around location-based gaming. And uh, it was at the same time it was the back of iPhones success, and and one of the first early free-to-play games. Mm-hmm. Um, Could you briefly just explain what location-based games really mean uh, to the audience? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So maybe an example people might know is Pokemon Go, right? So they kind of continue where we left off. So so you have a gaming experience that is 
around your location. From a mobile phone, you look at where you are. And, and the gaming world, you can see that through your phone, but it is very much around your real physical location. So wherever you go, you, you can see perhaps other people in the same world. So um, in their real location and the gaming experience is built around those factors. So we built this magical world where you were a mage and you were kind of battling over neighborhoods, conquering different neighborhoods. Again, it was called Shadow Cities at, at, at the time, and it was extremely popular. What, do you, what we didn't realize, nobody else realized either, I guess, was that there was only, it was a real-time game, so it was not asynchronous, but at real-time, and you played exactly where you were physically. So you needed kind of critical mass wherever you happen to be at a particular time in that particular location. And that was a high bar given how many iPhones there was out there. So that, that was a timing challenge for us. And not too many successful location-based games emerged from that. But I, I think, and, and even to this day, I think Pokemon Go is the, is the biggest ones, but I think it's still an incredible opportunity. But that was our shot at it and 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 again like now everybody has a clear idea what is a mobile game but at the time it was not clear so it was it was very exciting at the time and gray area we worked on a number of different games for five six years and after that i wanted to think about what to do next and i joined a small early state investor called reactor ventures and you know a few investments there, help the portfolio, learn the ropes, what it is to invest in startups and kind of understand that side of the table. And at the time I invested in a, in a small company called, or actually two, two guys, that is today Swapi. So Sami and Yiri, and you know, we started to work together. And uh, for the past few years, I've worked very closely with, with those guys. Swapi is now some 300 people and, and growing extremely fast, made some 40 million in revenue last year and, and they make a lot more this year. So, and what they do is it's, it's end-to-end marketplace focused on refurbished iPhones. So, so that you don't have to throw away your iPhone, Swappy will buy it, fix it, clean it, make it new, and then sell it to somebody who needs one. And we're currently operating four different markets and expanding fast. So, so that that's in a nutshell. And there's a lot of small projects and and you know, kind of experiments in between. But I, I guess that's in a nutshell the, mm-hmm. the path to this day. That's very interesting. And also, when I studied your background, I saw you were involved in in, in quite a few. But I think you really highlighted well also what I, I found very interesting, like gray area. It sounds like a very ambitious project at the time with, with this location-based games. And it, it sounds very cool. I think you mentioned World of Warcraft. I was around that time, I'm a bit younger than you, but I was playing also <laughs> that game. And I did not hear about your game, but it, it sounds really exciting. And now also with, with, with Swappy, I think it's a great mission to have to help the world a bit by not throwing away these this old phones, but reuse them. So So that's very cool. So from your time at, at Grey Area, especially in gaming, 
would you say there was something that you would have done different now uh, for someone who maybe thinks about starting a gaming company or just general takeaways from from that industry that you could give people it's a great question I think there's a there's a lot of things. So with 2020 hindsight, I mean, like as as one does with with your first real startup, you make every mistake there is, and then it's just a matter of you know making those really fast and getting beyond that before you run out of money. So I guess you know something that that sticks out for me is sticking with the product vision is is you know kind of you're the only one whether you have advisors investors you know other people you know you're thinking and spending time and most intimate with the idea and so kind of like having confidence in your in your own vision secondly something that we could have done more is is understanding what works and listening to the users so i'm trying to zero on that like what what is it exactly that's working so well people people loved the game at the time they you know people kind of and to this day i get messages about it people took tattoos of the logos and you know they were just coming through doors and windows so there was something that really resonated but then there was other parts that didn't so understanding what that is i think it's when, once when you see somebody you know really loving your product it's it's a sign you have something special and when it comes to the the kind of company building i think nowadays you have a lot more resources to learn from but also a lot more people who have done it successfully so talking to your peers and learning the ins and outs you might have a new product but the but the act of building a company itself and scaling a company and hiring and you know, building organizations, communication, whatnot. I mean, that is all going to solve problems. So, so you should not try to kind of reinvent the wheel where you don't have to. So a lot of the most successful entrepreneurs, they, they are very good at reaching out and, and, and kind of listening, but then <laughs> deciding for themselves what advice to listen and what not to. But overall, talking to your peers and talking to other companies and if you're hiring for a role that you don't have any experience in then maybe talking to 10 people who are in that role and trying to understand you know what that means and what it what great looks like what success looks like you know that's a great way to go about it so i think those are some of the learnings and again it's it it is it is very different from 10 15 years ago mm -hmm. which is which is really wonderful to see kind of how far we come here in in europe mm -hmm. yeah i think it's also amazing to see what, what is happening over the last five to ten years in the european tech and entrepreneurship scene and thanks a lot for this advice i think it's very valuable so to listen to your peers and also to the feedback from your users so I think that's great advice. Another question I had was around Swapi, where you are now, I think, uh, the chairman of the board. For people interested in this company, you said you are operating in, in four markets. Is it mainly the Nordics or, or where are you uh, right now? Right. So we're open in, in Finland, Sweden, Denmark and Italy. Italy is one of the like big Southern European markets we wanted to experiment in. 
and we're in the process of opening a number of uh, number of new markets at the moment. So really expanding quite rapidly this year. But the company is very much based here in Helsinki, but hopefully soon will be across Europe. So, you know, whichever market the listener happens to be in. Yeah, it sounds very interesting. So if, if people want to check it out, I will make sure to link also to all the companies mentioned in the show notes. And so you can have a look there. Then you recently got selected for this Atomico Angel program as an, as an investor. So I had a previous show on this guest, Stefano Bernardi. He was also part of this program one year prior. So I, I'm just curious to learn about your experience so far uh, in the program and uh, what type of founders you're looking to, to back and why. So it would be great if you could talk a little bit about that. So I, I think it's really wonderful what Atomico is doing. So I guess in a nutshell, it's like a scout program. So what Atomico does is they give you 100K to invest during 12 months, so one year. And effectively, you can invest in whoever or whatever you want. So you can choose the company or the founders. And you know as long as they abide by the... Atomico's ethical guidelines, but almost anything. You can write one big check or you can write a number of small ones. It's really up to you. And how I got into it, I, you know, my guess is that I don't, I don't actually know who kind of recommended me. My guess is that it's Neil Murray from the Nordic web. You know, he's such a nice guy, Re- really a wonderful investor and entrepreneur. And Sophia Benz reached out, and I, I did not know Sophia from from before. I've heard of her, but but she's she's also you know really great doing doing super valuable work with with the angel program at Atomico, and we hit it off, and you know I I got opportunity to join the program, and ever since I've invested in uh, three different companies. All companies they are. Um, still not out with their products and uh, i guess even to me surprisingly two out of three is has a hardware component which i didn't anticipate but but i i am very excited about what they are working on i i let the companies come out when when it works for them instead Mm -hmm. of uh, announcing them right now what i'm interested in general i i think also this is why i started the my own podcast, which I mentioned, is is kind of highlighting some of the opportunities that for young people and, you know, helping them navigate and find those opportunities. So I'd be kind of keen to invest companies improving access to opportunity in general. And, and I think I'm very drawn to software networks. So whether it's social network, whether it's... Uh, uh, peer network, whether it's uh, a tool that kind of leverages your creativity or helps you run a business or whatever, whatever it may, may be. But, but that's a thesis that I believe strongly. I, I think we could do a lot more. We're doing a lot, but we could do a lot more uh, given what internet has enabled. So I would love to see more of those companies that make your location even less relevant than it is it is today and opening opportunities, even if you're not in one of the kind of crazy startup hubs or mega cities of the world. Okay, so you would say you're investing in, in founders in other cities or you're also investing in companies that enable 
founders, not from the main hubs to, to start companies? Right, or, right, or is it both? Right. Good clarification. So, so companies that enable that very much okay. that. So the, the latter. So, but I, I, I do look at, it's not just that I, I invest and I have invested in, in, you know, other verticals, other kinds of products, really kind of, um, whatever I find interesting, exciting, but widening the access to opportunities, particularly something I would love to see more of. So companies that enable that, I'd love to hear more of and and very happy to back. That's really a great approach and mission to have. And so if any of the listeners are building something in this field, I can only encourage them to reach out to you. And I'm also very excited to see what companies have backed once there is more to show. Before we go over to the rapid fire question, you mentioned your podcast. So I, I would like to give you the word on your own podcast and maybe you introduce it quickly and what it is about. Right. Absolutely. So, so the podcast is, you know, I've just put it together. I have, you know, first few guests ready to go and recorded. The podcast is called The Long Map. It's about exploring how to live an interesting life. And it, it really goes back to highlighting opportunities and inspiring people of options and, and possibilities that they have by, you know, talking to people who are living interesting lives or a version of it and uh, how they think about uh, different aspects of life, how to spend, how to spend your 20s, what great work looks like, what to study, where to live. And what that means in the age of internet. So that is really the thesis of the blog. And you can subscribe and find the blog at thelongmap.com and hopefully also on most popular podcast apps by the time that this podcast goes out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll also make sure then to, to link it. Uh, and hopefully if the first episode is out then in, in the show notes of this podcast. So yeah, I encourage everyone to, to have a look. I, I think it sounds very cool. Um, good. Then as some of my listeners know, I'm closing the podcast with a few rapid fire questions to find out a bit more about you uh, as a person and uh, outside of just your projects and your career. So I will just ask you a question and you can answer it briefly. That would be great. Yep. So, Happy to. <laughs> perfect. So first question, what is your favorite book or movie you watched uh, this year so far? Probably the book, it's called How Asia Works by Joe Studwell. And uh, it's really a book about the economic development, how, how it happened in Asia and why. The basic thesis is that what works for development going from poor to rich is not the same what works for rich countries, what works for poor countries. So, and, and the book really highlights that and it talks about the potential for progress and highlights the fact that it does not come automatically, but that anything is possible. So it's really a wonderful uh, window into how massive change can happen if the policies are right. Mm-hmm. Sounds intriguing. Thank you for that. If you had to choose your best personal investment that you ever did, uh, what would you say that that is? It, it can be an investment um, of money or of time or of energy. It can be anything. That's a great question. Mine's, mine's probably the best choice for us to do a master's degree 
in, in London. I did it at LSE. It was after my undergraduate degree and I had, that was kind of first time for me to study abroad. So I, I left Finland and that was a bit unusual at the time, but I was very curious and keen to understand how the world works and why that was not necessarily because I learned so much. And I think I, I did per se, but it was more about understanding what is possible. So at the time I was 20 something, 24, 25. So you kind of sucked in, you were like a sponge, all the different influences and you saw people from all walks of life and what they plan to make out of their lives. And uh, there's, you know, unbounded ambition and big ideas and, and, you know, learned about the history. So, so it was really because of the inspiration it gave it was one of the best investments i've made mm -hmm. and next question goes in a similar direction if you would have to tell your younger self uh, a piece of advice like when you were yeah 20 25 is there anything you would tell yourself as a main piece of advice for your later career that's, that's also a great great question i think many people tend to at least i did They tend to overthink it, like, you know, that your, whatever you choose, whatever is your first job that will somehow determine, you know, is, is such a big deal for the rest of your life. It's not. So you should just kind of sample a lot. So see what's out there, understand what works for you. And, and I guess more than anything nowadays with internet, you can almost, you can't take too much risk when you're 20 something. So the biggest risk is probably not to take risk. So I, I would just, you know, as ambitious as you can be, and then just do many things. So it's very hard to understand what different paths entail if you don't try them out. Wow. Thank you very much for that. And as a closing question, since the name of the podcast is a Leave Takers podcast, I always like to ask my guests what courage means Uh, to you personally? Is there anything that comes to mind? Courage is, I guess many times, at least how it manifests itself is standing up for what you, what you believe when it's not the popular or the fashionable thing to do. And it applies to personal choices, but also if you're you know, starting a, a new company and building something unique and new and different. So it might be challenging And it, it takes a lot of courage to stick to your guns. Great. Thank you so much for all these insights today in this interview. I really appreciated it and I found it really interesting. So to wrap it up, where can people find out uh, more about you online or about the long map? Is there you know, any Twitter handle or other websites where they can find more about you? Right. I guess the, the best way is to check out my Twitter and that's my last name. So Vesterinen, V-E-S-T-E-R-I-N-E-N at Vesterinen. You can also go to my homepage, Ville, V-I-L-L-E, Vesterinen, V-E-S-T-E-R-I-N-E-N.com. And the new podcast is at the, the longmap.com. Check it out. Perfect. Again, thank you so much, Wille, and all the best to you and uh, good luck with, with the podcast and with future endeavors. Thank you so much. Thank you. This was great.
All right, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. You could do me a really big favor if you would just tell one of your friends about the Leap Takers podcast and recommend it. Or if you want to do even more, quickly head over to the iTunes or Apple podcast store and give the Leap Takers podcast a five-star rating. This would really help me to get more visible and that I'll be able to continuously bring on great guests to this show. Thank you so much. Also, if you have any feedback, or suggestions for future guests just shoot me a message you can find all my contact info on leaptakers.com or you can also follow me on twitter or instagram where you can find me under remo keyboards or just follow the leap takers podcast directly on instagram as well so having said that thanks again for listening and have a great week bye bye